I grew up in West Texas, in Midland. It was a different time. There was an animal at that time, an animal called the free-range child. Free-range children. I don't see them much anymore, but they didn't know about fences. They didn't know about supervising adults. They went from house to house, yard to yard. We ate, we grazed in kitchens where we could find a snack, and we rode our bikes. We rode our bikes from street to street without helmets. We rode our bikes in the back alleyways. We even rode our bikes to a drainage ditch that was back behind our house, and we rode our bikes in the drainage ditch. One of the things that often got in my way on my bike rides was a plant called the tumbleweed. I don't see tumbleweeds in San Antonio, but they were all over West Texas. And I can remember a time when my grandmother came from College Station to Midland. She came to visit us, and she asked if I would go outside and find her a tumbleweed so that she could take that tumbleweed back to her Sunday school class and show them what a tumbleweed looked like. Man, I thought that was crazy. I couldn't believe that anyone would want a tumbleweed. They got in my way. I couldn't believe that anyone would take a tumbleweed and put it in the back seat of their car. And I couldn't believe that they would take the time to show it to someone that they liked. The Hebrew word that is used to describe the place where God appears in the third chapter of Exodus envisions nothing but a common desert bush. Most desert plants have some kind of defense against being eaten, and thorns would be the most prevalent defense for a desert plant. So when I hear this story In the third chapter of Exodus, I think about a tumbleweed. And I think I'm right envisioning a tumbleweed because some of the translations, and in fact the one that we read this morning, do in fact say that the burning bush was a burning thorn bush. It's common, a thorn bush, something that Moses would have walked by every day. Moses never would have thought to carry it off to show his friends for show and tell. But at the same time, when Moses sees this burning thorn bush, he says it's a thorn bush and he describes it as being marvelous. Verse 3 says, I must turn and look at this marvelous sight. There's a flame, but it doesn't burn. And the very voice of God comes from that bush, twice calling Moses' name. It is both common and it is marvelous. Maybe, maybe that burning thorn bush, maybe that burning thorn bush is like this church building this last week. An ordinary facility that I come to most days. But this last week, it was lit up with the voices of 500 children during vacation Bible school. Maybe it's like that. 
Maybe it's like walking on the trail that I walk many mornings back behind my house. That one morning displayed three cardinals in a row for me this week. Maybe it's like that. Maybe it's like stepping out onto the porch of our Port Aransas condo just to clean up the mess that the renters left a few weeks ago and finding out there on the front, on the back porch, finding a full moon that lights up most of the night sky. Maybe it's like the surface of the water that sits in my backyard that dances ablaze with dragonflies in the morning hours. I believe tens, if not hundreds, of bushes, thorn bushes are aflame within my eyesight every day. And that is a marvelous thing. It is the wonder of, of living that perfectly ordinary things. They just cry out with promise. They cry out with the promise of the Creator all the time. They're trying to catch my ear, saying, Dinah, Dinah. One of my very favorite preachers is a, a woman named Barbara Brown Taylor. And she says that what makes Moses, Moses, is his ability to turn aside. It's just his ability to notice. She calls this the practice of paying attention. And she goes on to write, the practice of paying attention can be as simple, it can be as simple as looking twice at people and things that you might just as easily ignore. Paying attention requires, it requires no equipment. It requires no special clothes, no greens fees, no personal trainers. You don't even have to be in particularly good shape to pay attention. All you need is a body on this earth. A body on this earth that is willing to notice where it is, trusting that even something as small as a hazelnut can become an altar. Something as small as a hazelnut can become an altar in this world. Once Moses notices, once he turns aside, then God's voice is heard in this book of Exodus. And between Moses and the Lord, a dialogue begins. You see, it strikes me that both Moses and God were well aware of the suffering of the Israelites going into this scene. What changes in this scene, what opens up the whole rest of the story that leads to freedom is that Moses turns aside and he opens himself up to hearing from God. And the great thing about this chapter is that Moses talks back. He doesn't just accept orders, but Moses questions and he talks back and he worries. Does anyone in this room have a strong-willed child in their family? Or was anyone in this room raised in a family where there was a strong-willed child? It wasn't me, (laughs) but there was one in my family. I think every family has one. I can remember that the strong-willed child in our family, she would protest. She would question our father, 
who I should say, since it's Father's Day, was an excellent father. My father's not in this room, but he's such a good father. He will listen to this podcast. So happy Father's Day, Dad. I love you. (laughs) When my sister would protest, when she would question our excellent father, I was usually sitting next to her and I'd be elbowing and nudging her, saying, just say yes, sir. Yes, sir, is the answer. But she never took my hint. (laughs) She never took my hint. Moses is like a strong-willed child. Moses is a strong-willed child, and we are better for it. We, as the family of faith, are better having Moses, the strong-willed child, in our family. Old Testament scholar Brevard Childs points out that in this particular scene in Exodus, which begins in chapter 3 and it goes all the way, well, it goes halfway through chapter 4, five times Moses will resist. Five times Moses will protest. Five times he'll question. And in each of those questions, in each of those protests, the Lord responds. Each time that the Lord responds, we get a little bit more. Of who God is, we get a little bit more of the plan that God has. If Moses didn't resist, we would have a very flat scene with a very boring deity. But Moses resists. And I would tell you that every family needs a strong-willed child. I can remember when the prevailing wisdom on parenting was to break the will of the strong-willed child, break the spirit. And I want you to know that I don't buy that, that this scripture story tells me every family needs one. The strong-willed child gives the parent the opportunity to define himself or define herself and to spell out the plan. If Moses hadn't been so strong-willed, we wouldn't have this particular story of freedom. And listen, listen to what is said about Moses. Listen to what is said about Moses in the very last line of Deuteronomy, which would be the very last line of the first five books of the Bible of the Pentateuch. This is said, Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses who knew God face to face. The strong-willed child knows. The strong-willed child knows. Well, let's talk about Moses' objections. In this story, Moses makes five objections, and they sound like this. The first objection or the first protest that Moses makes to God is simply, Who am I? Who am I that I should go back to Egypt? The second one is, Well, who should I tell the Egyptians that you are? Who should I say that you are? The third protest is, You know, they won't listen to me. The fourth is, I'm not a good spokesperson. And then the fifth is this, just send someone else. Not me, God, just send someone else. Each one of Moses' objections looks to the past. Each one of Moses' objections is fearful about the possibility of the future. And I would tell you that it's really difficult, if not impossible, to turn aside and to notice when you're focused on what's behind you. I mean, we can't really even do it very well physically. Try walking and noticing 
what's within arm's reach for you while focusing on what's behind you. And it just makes me dizzy. Think about it figuratively. If you are trying to move to a new place, to a new promise, while you're focused on your past, even if it's a mountaintop experience in your past, a past revelation, it's hard to get new information from a past revelation. It's important to turn aside and notice what God is saying, what God is doing right now, what's within arm's reach. The Lord responds to Moses' questions by pointing ahead to a future promise. The Lord says to Moses, you're looking in the wrong direction. Don't look to the past, but look to the future. Look to the promise that I have for you. And in five different responses, five times that the Lord responds to Moses' protests, he gives a consistent theme. There's a consistent theme to the promise, and the promise is this. I will be with you. I will be with you. Five different ways the Lord tells Moses, I'm going to be right there with you. Even when God gives Moses his calling card his, as a response to Moses' second question, which is, who are you? <laughs> who should I tell them that you are? The Lord says, tell them that I am who I am sent to you. Another way to translate those words from the Hebrew, and you sometimes see this in the English translations, is to say that the Lord identifies the Lord's self as I will be who I will be. The root word is to be. In other words, the Lord is saying my essence is rooted in my being, and here's what you need to know about my being, Moses. My being is going to be right there with you. I will be with you. But Moses says, they won't listen to me. I will be with you, the Lord says, and and you will show them signs. You will take that staff that you have right there in your hands, throw it on the ground, and it will crawl around like a snake. You will put your hand inside your cloak, and it will become as white as snow with leprosy. I think that's depicted in this painting. I don't know if you can tell it, but Moses' arm is white in the painting back behind me. I will be with you, Moses, and I will give you words. And if you don't believe that I'm with you, the Lord says, then look. Look at your brother. Look at Aaron. He will be with you. This is the final answer that the Lord gives to Moses. It's incarnation. We love that. It's I will be with you in the flesh. And that finally quiets Moses' protests. Nothing can quiet our protests like the proof of God's presence right next to us in human beings. Well, here's what the Lord doesn't say. The Lord doesn't say to Moses, Moses, this is going to be a piece of cake. It's going to be really easy, no problem. Pharaoh is going to love this. (laughs) That's not what the Lord says. Rabbis teach that the significance of the thorn bush instead of a carob tree or a sycamore tree, which everyone would have known about, would have recognized, the significance of the thorn bush just might be that God shares in suffering. God exists right there in suffering. God moves. God speaks. God teaches in the middle of pain. 
One rabbi even wrote, you know, you can put your hand into a thorn bush, into a tumbleweed pretty easily. It will welcome your hand, but it's hard to pull your hand back out. When you pull your hand out of a thorn bush, it gets snagged. And that may be exactly what's going to happen with freeing the freeing the Israelites from Egypt. The Egyptians have welcomed the Israelites into Egypt. But when, we, when Moses goes in to try to pull them back out, there's going to be pain. It's going to be difficult. Now, you won't often get music recommendations from me. <laughs> but one musician that I've been listening to for the last couple of years is a musician named Carrie Newcomer. You can find her on YouTube. Um, as you might guess, I'm, I'm probably more into lyrics than I am into music. So I don't know if Daryl would endorse this suggestion or not. But Carrie Newcomer wrote a song that I like that is simply called You Can Do This Hard Thing. And in the song You Can Do This Hard Thing, she tells a story about growing up in a house where her parents taught her to persevere. They didn't try to shelter her from difficulties, but instead they taught her that she could do what was difficult. She could do what was hard. About a year and a half ago, I was sitting in my car in the pickup line at the elementary school, and I was talking to my mom on the phone. And I was talking to my mom about all of the disruptions that were going on in my life at that time. When she kind of laughed And she said through the phone to me, I guess I forgot to tell you. I guess I forgot to tell you that the 40s are a kick in the knees. You got teenagers. You have increased work responsibilities that aren't always easy. And you don't have much time for friends. And usually in your 40s, you've got some financial issues too because you're planning for college for your children. The 40s are a kick in the knees. But you'll get through it, she said. God will see you through it. About that time, I came across a line in something that I was reading that said, if you want out of a difficult situation, call a counselor. But if you want through a difficult situation, call a spiritual director. So that's what I did. I went through that difficult time. So I called the spiritual director and I went to meet with her at her church in her church library and I emptied the pockets of my soul onto the table in front of her and I said, look at this wreck. And she inventoried what I had poured out and she said, yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess, but now we're getting somewhere, Dinah. We can work with this. Father Richard Rohr writes that there are two ways to get a spiritual breakthrough in life. Suffering and wonder. Pain and awe. And a combination of the two, a combination of suffering and wonder, that may be exactly what we have in this particular scripture story in Exodus 3. None of us wish for suffering, none of us wish for pain, and yet it seems to come into each of our lives. Pain breaks down our carefully maintained sense of control, and it takes us to the limits of our resources. That is a very promising place to be. 
when we get to that point that is the end of our resources and we say, I can't do this, I can't do this in my present state, then it is the Lord that often says back to us, turn aside, turn aside because I will be with you. I am with you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, ruler of the universe, we are always blessed by your faithfulness. You desire to travel with us even when we are less than desirable traveling companions. So we ask, Lord, that you would instruct us always, but especially in times of struggle. Would you strengthen and grow us? Would you grow us to a place of prophecy where we instantly recognize the places that you dwell, the places that you work, and the places in us where you would bring transformation? Show us those places. You bring light. You expose darkness. You bring light that you don't consume. For this we are grateful. Amen.